If you're looking for a podcast, TV suggestions for the kinds of fireworks you should purchase for your 4th of July celebration. Buy dog food instead. Yeah, and, and take it to your local animal shelter and donate it. Don't buy fireworks. It makes dogs crazy and... Your human neighbors there are mad. Some, there are, well, and then there are also people with PTSD from, you yeah. know... Uh, Loud war noises. zones. Yes. Um, so all kinds of reasons to not blow stuff up. That's right. But this isn't that podcast. No, well, no, but... This is, however, comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. Welcome to Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage, a podcast where a longtime married couple takes turns each episode selecting a movie, TV show, or documentary to watch. We watch it together. Then we sit down and discuss why we liked it, loved it, or loathed it, and share that discussion with you. I am Stan the Movie Man. I review films at StanTheMovieMan.com. Follow me on Twitter at MovieManStan. Follow me uh, on uh, follow the podcast uh, at CT Marriage. If you have something you'd like to say us say to us in a longer form, uh, and you're not giving Elon Musk your eight dollars a month, uh, please. <laughs> Send us an email, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. You can also uh, send us suggestions for a movie you would like us to watch and talk about on the podcast. Oh, and also please uh, follow us on uh, whatever uh, podcast platform you use. Following us on Spotify helps us out, so please uh, do that, and we would greatly appreciate it. Joining me as always is my other half. Maud, the Technical Sergeant Broad. Ah, ah, the Technical Sergeant Broad, which will be now explained as it was Maud's choice this week. Yes, um, so it was my choice as Stan said, and uh, my choice for this week um, harkens back to our podcast that we did last week about the Robin Williams documentary, Come Inside My Mind. Um, it um, also harkens back to a movie that we mentioned in that podcast mm -hmm. um, that we saw when we were dating early. Very early. Very early. Um, from 1982, The World According to Garp. Um, it was, it's, it's called a comedy drama film, and yeah, it is. Um, yeah. It was produced and directed by George Roy Hill. Um, it starred Robin Williams in the title role of Garp. Um, we'll explain T.S. in a in a second. Um, also starred John Lithgow, John Lithgow and Glenn Close. Um, she was actually in her film debut. She had done Broadway stage work and a little bit of television prior, but this was her movie debut. Um, Lithgow and Glenn Close were um, nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role and Best Actress in a Supporting Role at that year's um, Academy Awards. Um, other film members of the cast, Mary Beth Hurt, who played Helen Holm, who ended up being Helen Garp, um, because she married T.S. Garp, portrayed by Robin Williams. Now, um, before we go too much into the movie, I want to talk a little bit about the book upon which it was based. Um, the World According to Garp um, was written by author John Irving. It was his fourth novel um, about a man, T.S. Garp, 
um, who was born out of wedlock to a World War II nurse who becomes a feminist leader. Um, she wanted to be a mother, but she did not uh, particularly want to be a wife. And so she went about um, procuring motherhood in an interesting way, shall we say. Um, the book was published in 1978. It was a bestseller for a number of years. It was a finalist for the National Book Award for Fiction in 1979, and um, its first paperback edition won the award for uh, the National Book Award for Fiction um, the following year. So um, the book was um, pretty heavy-duty stuff um, as far as critical acclaim winning the National Book Award is no small cheese. Mm -hmm. So um, a very disjointed description of what happens is um, Jenny Fields, um, who is portrayed by Glenn Close, um, is a World War II nurse, and she wants a child. She, however, does not... Um, she she looks askance at lust and sexuality, and she just wants to be a mother. And she, she doesn't want to be tied down by the um, trappings of marriage. Well, and... that and the the roles that traditionally a wife and mother would play. She don't want a man. She just wants a baby. Well, yes. Um, so, in the course of her nursing duties. There is a patient for whom she cares who is comes in severely, um, severely wounded. Um, he's he's basically at death's door. He has no verbal skills anymore. All he can say is garp, which is probably just what she interpreted his mumblings to be. He, however, is afflicted with almost constant um, sexual arousal, shall we say. The medical term is priapism, but he's always ready to go. So at one point she decides, um, I can get myself a baby this way. So she basically rapes him. Yes. Um, and becomes pregnant and gives birth to her son, who she names T.S. Garp. T.S. Um, from the soldier's dog tags, technical sergeant. Um, we first see the film open with this beautiful, cherubic, angelic, gorgeous little supermodel-faced baby being um, floating and then descending in slow motion, floating, descending against a blue and white cloudy sky. Um, that is Baby Garp. And um, after the opening sequence of the film is through, we are um, introduced to Jenny and Baby Garp. Jenny is introducing Baby Garp to her parents, who are portrayed by Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin. They are mortified and appalled um, that she's you know, chosen this path for herself. This is 1944 when Garp is born and introduced and um, this is just not what ladies do. Um, Jenny Fields, however, is not um, to be fenced in. And she's, she's not a traditional woman. She is not a traditional woman. She's a feminist in a lot of ways before feminists even um, 
were a thing. Before there was a name for them. For feminism. She didn't know she was a feminist until later. Much later. Um, but for all of her, I mean, my growing up with the term feminism, um, a lot of feminism was intertwined with the sexual revolution, mm -hmm. which was about sexual freedom and, um, you know, uh, birth control and being a libertine and um, Jenny Fields is not a libertine. She's very she's like a feminist prude and that's the craziest oxymoron that I can imagine for her. But she's um, she's fascinated and repelled with the whole concept of lust and she um, becomes a nurse at an all boys school and boys being what little boys are they you know she finds pornography. Um, a you know a girly magazine well, in one a of nudist their nudist magazine a nudist magazine yes um, in one of their um, barracks and you know threatens and you know comes across very stern it's lust it's all lust it's all you boys ever think about is lust um, and so she um, she brings up Garp in this very um, non traditional um, paradigm I guess um, she doesn't tell him much about his father so he is free to imagine what his father is or was and she says okay go ahead dear that's you know you, you can imagine whatever you want um, for me as much as anything this film is not just Garp's story but it's Jenny's story um, because she plays about as big a role as he does mm -hmm. and their stories are very much intertwined and I'm about to cough and I'm sorry. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, the all boys school that, um, Jenny is nurse at and that Garp goes to because Jenny is a nurse there. Um, we meet Garp's wrestling coach. Um, who is portrayed a small role by Brandon Maggart, who we, you know, become familiar with later, but it's a face you'll recognize, just his hair's darker than we're used to the salt and pepper scene. Um, wrestling coach Holm is father to Helen Holm, who is um, portrayed by Mary Beth Hurt. Garp is interested in writing. He wants to write stories. He wants to tell stories. This fascinates um, Helen. You're going to have to take over because I got a cough again. Mm. <coughs> so sorry. I feel like I've swallowed a cat. Let me get a drink. Maybe okay. that will help. Um, uh, but yes, uh, Garp has, uh, he's infatuated with Helen. And, and um, she says that she would, the only, the only man she'd ever marry is a writer. And that gives Garp even more um, impetus to <clears throat> become a a writer. Um, and but Garp has a girlfriend. He's this well, the next door neighbor. Well, it's the woman he has sex with. Um, um, sort of sex. Well, I got to believe that wasn't the first time. Um, no, probably not. I, I think that, well, first of all, her name is Cushy. Um, yes, and her sister, is that her sister? Her sister is, her, her, sister's, her sister's name, name is Pooh. Poo. 
and that's that's going to be trouble throughout the whole movie. Uh, yes. Uh, but um, Cushy's a libertine. I don't think she is. I think. Oh, Cushy is. Cushy is. Yes, Pooh isn't. Pooh's Pooh's a wackadoo. Cushy's a slut. Yeah. Uh, And um, when uh, Cushy comes to visit Garp at his school, they're behind a bush doing stuff. stuff. And Pooh, who has a history of spying on uh, Garp. And Cushy because, doing stuff. Because we see her doing this when they're smaller children. Yes, when they're playing doctor. Yes. Or when they're playing a husband and wife. And, oh, I have a headache. Um, and uh, she invites uh, Garp's crush over to watch. Yeah. And she is... Um, she gets mad. Helen is quite angry. Uh, about that, and uh, at first there's a chance that they aren't going to get together, but eventually they do. He's able to, you know, kind of get her back, and yeah. um, so they Are get... you over your coffin? <clears throat> I think so for okay. now. I, I don't know what even... I feel like I swallowed a cat. Anyway, um, Garp and Helen get married. He um, is the quintessential struggling writer... Um, she is an English teacher. They have a baby named Duncan. And a few years later, they have another baby named Walt. And, you know, things are kind of going along and going along. Um, prior to this, however, and it's about to happen again. Okay. I think we're going to have to stop. Well, Jenny, uh, if you if you want to just hand me that, yeah. Sorry. Jenny... Uh, and Garp move to New York City, where the uh, pair are trying, at, both of them are trying to become writers. Um, Garp, uh, Garp's trying to write like fiction and very sad stories. That's his, that's his milieu. Um, and then Jenny, um, decides that she is going to write a book about sex because she sees it all over the place in New York City, including a prostitute uh, that is played by Swoosie Kurtz, who, by the way, never is given a name. She's just billed as the, the prostitute. prostitute. Yes. Uh, and Jenny speaks with her about you know, why she does what she does and what does kind of she an get out of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then she pays for Garp to go with the prostitute. So he, he gets a little bit of, a, of his man education yes. from the prostitutes with Kurtz. Yes. Um, and from this information and other uh, things... Uh, Jenny, Jenny, writes uh, a... Different Jenny. Yes. Jenny writes a book. Do you remember the name of the book? Sexual Suspect. Sexual Suspect. Uh, it is a feminist... Um, kind of manifesto, actually. Yes, about uh, sexuality and about uh, male oppression. Um, and, uh, the, and it makes a lot of people angry. Um 
and at one point Jenny is going to give a speech for a uh, woman who is running for Connecticut? I think Governor of New Hampshire. Governor of New Hampshire. And somebody takes a shot, uh, a sniper takes a shot at um, Jenny uh, up on the dais and um, you know that sniper is killed but it's like this book is making people very angry. Now at the same time Garp has uh, been published by the same publisher as Jenny's book, but his book is not selling well, even though it's getting great reviews. It's great critical, um, it's good critical success, but it's not... It's um, just sitting on the shelf. It's not putting butts in the seats. Whereas Jenny's book is occupying big uh, bookstore windows in New York City and is selling like hotcakes. Uh, from this, Jenny earns enough money to um, take her parents home, um, her parents have passed away, and uh, turning turns it into, I'm really not, almost a clinic or uh, like a, like a, a clinic, halfway house? It's or... sort of a clinic retreat for um, women who are... Um, in need of various kinds of healing. Yes. Uh, that is where we meet Roberta Muldoon. Played by John Lithgow. John Lithgow. He is a transsexual uh, male to female. And he uh, used to play football. Professional football, yes. And uh, after his career, he, he, he followed what he was feeling and he transitioned to a woman. Um, of course, He's head, or excuse me. She's head and shoulders taller than everybody else there. Very tall. But nice stems, though. Yeah, there is also a group of women who are called Ellen Jamesians. Jamesians. Um, Ellen James is a eleven-year-old uh, girl who was abducted and raped, and to prevent her from uh, ratting out the people, the men who did it she had her tongue cut they, off. Yeah, they cut her tongue out. And there are a group of women who have voluntarily had their tongues cut out as a show of uh, support um, with Ellen James, and they are called Ellen Jamesians. Uh, and they are very radical, um, you know, as far as men are concerned. Militant, angry. Yes. Um, they want nothing to do with men. Garp is, I believe, the only man at the house at, at when, when he visits. When he yes. visits this first time, um, aside from his sons. Yes, but they're little. They're boys. little boys, so they're not, you know. But he sees yet. a woman who has fallen. She's running. They're playing football, touch football, uh, in the yard, and she has fallen and twisted an ankle. And he runs to help her. And the woman tells him, get away, get away, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. And, um, you know, that sort of sets the mood for things that will come later on down the line. Um, but we, we follow Garp through his writing career um, and uh, the troubles that uh, he and Helen have in their marriage the tragedies they go through, 
the tragedies uh, that uh, befall uh, Garp's side of the family um, and the weaknesses they both display because there's weakness on both sides oh, sure. of the marriage, just as there always is. But um, we, we just we just follow them through their life up to a point. There's um, viewing it a second time forty years later. Yes, um, this was maybe our third date. Maybe I, I don't know. It's I the mean, second movie we went to because the first movie was Tron, and again I apologize. Uh, I have very fond memories of Tron. Well, it's not a good movie. Well, but uh, it was I'm a good date. I'm talking the original 1982. Well, yes, the date was wonderful, but the uh, the movie was was sort of crap. This was our second movie. Our second movie, or maybe third date, because maybe. this came out in late July of '82. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it would very early. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it might not have been our third date or or second movie date, but we it was way early. It was early. Because I remember it was hot when we went to see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, hmm. Anyway, viewing this movie 41 years later, um, I was surprised at how much I actually remembered from the first viewing. And um, the foreshadowing was a lot more mm. apparent well, yeah. on the second view, mm. obviously. Mm -hmm. I have not read the book. I want to read the book now. Um Movie critics feel felt at the time like that the movie was a fair rendering of the book. Yes. Um, with all of its um, good points and weaknesses, there were a lot of people didn't like the movie that well. It's no. got a seventy-one on um, Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people weren't impressed with um, Robin Williams as Garp. His performance. Um, Leonard Maltin loved it, though. He really, really loved it. Yeah. Um, um, Roger Ebert, eh. Not so much. Not so much. He um, uh, he was okay with it, but he, he you know, he didn't, uh, didn't love it. Actually, he said he gave it three, well, he gave it three stars out of four. Yeah. Uh, he said he was entertained but unmoved. Yeah. Three stars as a palatable interpretation of the novel, considering it wonderfully well-written, yet cruel, annoying, and smug. Um, cruel, yes. Annoying, I could, that may be, that's one person's opinion. Mm -hmm. Smug, eh, I'm not jaded enough to say that it was smug. Um, he, he, that, he, um. Uh, Ebert did like Robin Williams' acting. He found it to be unconventional and absorbing. Yes, as were also uh, Glenn, Close Glenn Close and, and Lithgow. John Lithgow. Yeah. Um, Interesting bit. Um, even though she portrays his mother, she's only four years. She was born four years earlier. Yeah. So, so um, obviously, in the scenes where he's 
a baby and a kid. They didn't have to do much to her. And it didn't look like they really did much to her later. No. They ju- they froused up her hair they, a little. They grayed up the edges of it a little bit. And, and maybe maybe a little bit of old lady makeup. A little modeling to, to make it look like her a, her skin was weathered and aged. But not, you know, nothing no. egregious. She didn't have huge jowls hanging off No, of it wasn't like, like obvious latex and prosthetic face stuff happening. Yeah. All she wears throughout the entire film is a nurse's uniform. Pretty much, yeah. That uh, totally. That's mm. that was her only wardrobe. <laughs> that must have got old after a while. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, but yeah, it. Um, yeah, this was very early in our dating relationship. Yeah. Um, and again, looking back on it, forty-one years later, I'm seeing things that didn't quite register at the time. Yeah, we understand things better now, don't we? A little bit. A little bit. Well, well, A, the foreshadowing is more apparent because we know what's coming. Well, yes, I had completely <clears throat> forgotten that ending. I did not remember how it ended. The helicopter ride? Well, the part before the helicopter ride. Oh, no, I remembered that vividly. I No, I remembered the mom and I remembered the attempt um, and I, I remembered the, um, I had mine removed surgically. The driveway, uh, the driveway. The driveway scene. Um, there's, this film has remarkable moments of tragedy, mm-hmm. which come with a fair dose of, um, irony and absurdity too. Yes. Um, and I, even though it's a 41 year old film, I'm not going to, don't want to spoil it for, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who maybe hasn't seen it and wants to not like, you know, this podcast is going to make you run and, um, maybe try to see it, but you really should because I really liked it. You can stream it on max. Yes. Um, it's, it's available there. And of course you can rent it or buy it at all the usual suspects. Yeah. Um, but there's, there are moments of it's just look for the scene in the driveway because horrible things happen there It's horrible and absurd and absurd yes because the horrible things that happen happen in a very absurd way yes and there's a bit of foreshadowing that is fulfilled in that sequence of events as well Mm -hmm. which you find out after the driveway scene is over. Yes. Um, but yeah, look for the driveway. Um, the the thing I noticed that particularly stuck out to me this time is that Garp, when he encounters the Ellen Jamesians and uh, his in his various encounters with them, and that I completely understand how he feels about them self-mutilating mm-hmm. by cutting out their own tongues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is extremely unsympathetic towards them. Um, especially after he finds out uh, that the actual Ellen James wants them to stop doing this. Yeah, she has actually sent a letter to the Ellen Jamesian saying, you know, I appreciate your support, but this is not, 
this is not the way to do it. Stop, mm -hmm. stop this. Stop mm -hmm. this madness. Don't have any more young women mutilate themselves in this way. Um, but Garp is... He's mad. He's completely unsympathetic to, and can't even, you know, wrap his head around, you know, I'm, don't, I'm, I'm, there, there's some leaves or something out there. I'm trying to figure out what <laughs> they're attached cough, to. I'm coughing up a hairball and, um. And I'm looking at the and, yard. Yeah. Uh, it's not that we're not interested. We're so focused. Um. But he's he's so completely, you know, unsympathetic to them and is at times cruel. Well, and his outrage at their movement or the way that they're manifesting their movement prompts him to write another book that's nonfiction because mm -hmm. at this point he has had some fame and some notoriety as an author yes. of fiction. His second novel is um, a success. And... Um, he goes to his publisher and says, just, you know, just do what I'm telling, publish the book. Um, and he writes what turns out to be his own manifesto about the Ellen Jamesians. Yes. And um, his book causes trouble. That's it, all I'm going to say. Yes. Um, and I, the book and his... Um, and his attitude toward the Ellen Jamesians, um, I I found it. You know, I did. Of course, I haven't read the book because the book doesn't exist. The fact that it exists within the universe of the of the movie, um, just it just strikes me as you know pouring salt on a wound. Um, he could have saved himself a lot of trouble lot of trouble if he had just let them go and be their thing now I realize this is this is a novel and we're we're attempting to create uh, tension and conflict uh, to drive the plot forward yes and this is this is the way that John Irving chose to advance the plot but I you know just <clears throat> just looking at it, from, you know, I know I shouldn't, but from a point of view of reality. Um, oh, you got to let that crap go. I know. Uh, so many other people have. But <clears throat> the, um, the whole point of it just feels out of place. It, it doesn't. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It just, it, I guess I'm a live and let live kind of guy. If you want to cut your tongue out, well, I can't go with it. But, you know, um, knock yourself out. I'm not talking to you specifically, Maud, but. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but to to the general wider you. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, I don't get it, but if that is how how you feel moved, then okay. Uh, just make sure you have plenty of notepads to write, you know, what you need to say on them. Um, so I don't know that whole that whole Ellen Jamesian plot seems. I don't know. I just 
If you just, could see, if you could see Stan's face right now, you would see confusion. That, you would see that he is pissed off and flummoxed. I wouldn't say I'm pissed off. I'm just. You're definitely flummoxed, though. Well, that's true, uh, definitely. But I, I just, I, I don't understand the point of that. Perhaps when I read the book, it'll make more sense. I will be, it'll make more sense and, and I'll be you. able to explain it to you because you don't read books. Because I don't. I, it's those little black squiggly things on pages. I, no. If I can't listen to it or watch it or watch it and listen to it, I'm, you know, <sighs> I know I'm, I'm such a, I'm just you're, so pedestrian. Well, no, you're not pedestrian. It's just, I work in a library. <laughs> And I completely support your work in a library. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Man. <laughs> for letting me put on shoes and clothes and leave the house and earn earn um, profit. Yeah, yeah. I'm you very, know, very happy that you do those things. a very things. liberated Ferengi. I, I, thank you. I, um, you know, I, I could do it without, you know, the shoes and clothes. But. The world needs them on me. Trust me. Trust me. Give it a shot. But no, no. Okay. No. Well, anyway, yeah, that that part of it just it stuck out to me more this time. Uh, you know, I guess with age and experience, some you know some things are just 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 didn't sit well with me on this go-round. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I still like the movie. It, it, that isn't, you know, in question. I'm just, I just question some choices. Now, as a viewer, I probably shouldn't do that, but, it, you know, I'm also at times a critic. Well, and it, And I do question it. It helps... It helps when viewing a film or when reading a book. Sometimes we have to suspend disbelief, and I use those words here a lot. Sometimes mm -hmm. we have to suspend disbelief right. and just go with wherever the artist's vision is taking us. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I think, more able to do that here knowing that both the book and the film contain elements of Comedy, tragedy, absurdity, satire, and, you know, all of those things tied up in a big old garby bow. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, you know, John Irving's way more published, published than me, so who am I to question his use of a plot device? Yeah, uh, and, okay, yeah, um... And maybe I'm just maybe I'm just not seeing it in the bigger picture of what he wanted, what he was trying to say. And granted, this is an interpretation of what he was saying mm -hmm. uh, in the film. But I just, I'm you know, I it seemed to me that Garp's reaction to the Ellen Jamesians ran counter to everything else we saw. From Garp. Aside from the uh, gardener or the the lawn guy, who was driving through the neighborhood like a crazy person, yeah. 
that that Garp attacked um, and was those are the those are the two places where we really see rage. Yes. Um, Even really when there should be rage um, before the driveway scene, we don't see rage. It's gets it's controlled under the surface anger. Mm -hmm. It's not yelling, screaming, stomping of feet. Right. But that in that with the guard with the uh, lawn guy, he uh, he let loose on him. Oh, yeah. Um, and and I was like, yeah, yeah. And nearly got run down because of it. Uh, but and, but to me, that was perhaps an overreaction, but it was it made sense. Um. And and I'm just saying the same things over and over again. I just don't get his his attitude toward the Ellen James ants. That's that's it. Okay. Okay. Elsewise, mm-hmm. one to eleven D. <laughs> um. How many dog tags do you give this film? <laughs> I I would give it four and a half dog tags. Um. Simply because of my inability to wrap my head around the Ellen Jamesians. Um, or the reaction to the Ellen Jamesians. By virtue of the moment where we actually, spoiler alert, meet Ellen James. Yes. For the all of the 15 seconds that we see her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give it five shiny dog tags. Okay. Played by a very young Amanda Plummer. Yes. And we recently saw in Picard. As Vatic the villain. Yes. Vatic the villain. And here comes a theme song. Mm. Yeah, no. no. Anyway. But yeah, I, I I still like the movie a great deal. Uh, it, some of that may just be from, you know, the the soft spot it has in my heart from... from our dating history uh, being so early on. I think I like it more actually because I'm able to view it less through that haze of what Jenny Fields would refer to as lust, mm. just lust, um, because I'm older and more grown up now. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not looking at it. It's not like we got in the car after the after the movie and had sex. Oh, anything. no, it was much too early for that. Way too early. And at never in a at car. At least two, three dates. Um, nice. No, no, that's not how that happened. Um, uh, you're, you're lucky your parents are dead <laughs> and my surviving parent... Doesn't know how to use his would, phone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, it's true. Uh, uh, have you called me? Because... Uh, nobody's called me. That's because no one wants to talk to you. Well, that's that's an entirely different podcast. Uh, yeah. Not this one. Uh, no. But anyway, yes, I, I still like the movie a lot. I can, of course, I love Robin Williams. Um, and, you know, Glenn Close, who at the beginning of the movie looks like she's about 18 years old. And maybe she's supposed to be at the beginning of the movie. Um, and, um, John Lithgow 
as Roberto Muldoon. Love him. That was he's always ins- that was an inspired bit of casting. Whenever he's on screen, there's always something entertaining about to happen. Oh yeah. Even if it's unhappy, uh, it's you know he's. Roberta, she is uh, just terrific. I I want a whole movie about Roberta Muldoon. The the four leads in the ensemble turn in really, really strong, nuanced, beautiful performances. Yes. Um. There there are moments with Glenn Close, particularly, um, even even more so than Robin Williams, I would venture to say, that are just, you look at this woman and this is a master class in mm-hmm. what it is to be a good actor. Mm-hmm. Just brilliant. So we highly recommend it. It is streaming on Max. Um, uh, Max. <laughs> well, it is streaming on Max. Uh, that's what it's called now. And uh, you can also rent it from all the usual places. Uh, as you said, it had a 71. 71 on Rotten Tomatoes. On Rotten Tomatoes. There's no Metacritic for it because I don't think Metacritic existed at the time. Although there are older movies that have Metacritics. But anyway, uh, the budget on it was $17 million. And it made uh, almost 30 So I think at the time... It was decent... That that probably was was a profitable film, okay. um, because or can't or it broke even because uh, the promotion budgets weren't completely insane as mm-hmm. they are now, and and uh, there's very few special effects to speak of in this film, and if they were, they would certainly be cheaper than CGI. Um, a friend of mine on Facebook said. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the new one that's coming out this weekend, mm-hmm. had a budget of $250 million. And I looked it up on Wikipedia and I said, it's actually $295 million. Oh. But it's expensive to make Harrison Ford look like he's 35 again. And why do we need to do that? Well, because Are they're there doing flashbacks? flashbacks. Yeah. <sighs> And they didn't. They couldn't repurpose old footage. Old footage. From... Just because you can doesn't mean you have to. I mean, like, show. Oh, God. Okay. Well, and there's of course a billion percent of CG in in that movie because yeah. he can't do a lot of those stunts like he used to be able to. I mean, he's eighty years old. Um, Harrison Ford is, um, and also there's you know. Planes blowing up in midair and jumping, people jumping out of them, and and uh, chases through parades on in downtown New York. Ugh. You can't do that kind of stuff with with uh, uh, with real with, with things, practical effects. I mean, you could, but eh, eh, whatever. Paying all those extras also gets expensive. So anyway. Uh, but this movie probably was was at least break even or a little better. Yeah. So. Okay. But yeah, we both recommend it highly. What else have you been watching, reading, listening to, whatever? Two other Glenn Close joints. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided that I was finally going to watch Fatal Attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, from nineteen eighty seven. Um, it was, it's streaming on Paramount Plus, but you can, you know, also find it on various streaming places if you want to find it. 
Um, it was really good. Um, the hair, the clothes, um, the acting, um, Michael Douglas's chin dimple, um, the, the whole disturbing thing with the rabbit. Um, there's so much, um, of you know, so many pop culture references that come from this film. And now I'm like, okay, I've actually seen where that comes from now. But I liked the movie. It, mm -hmm. it was, she was um, chilling and creepy and desperate and full goose bozo crazy in her um, portrayal of this character who was all those things. Um, really good. Ann Archer was solid, um, solid, um, in her role, solid performance. Um, Michael Douglas is pretty much always Michael Douglas. So he's, you know, you can, you know what you're getting there. He's dependable. It was a good movie. I liked it. Um, and then uh, also on Max, um, a film from 1997 made for um, home box office, made for television, called In the Gloaming, starring um, Glenn Close, um, Robert Sean Leonard as her son, um, Danny, and um, Bridget Fonda as her daughter, Annie, um, and I, uh, oh, David Strathairn, 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 like I don't know, as, as the father of the family. Um, and it's also pretty much just an ensemble piece. And Whoopi Goldberg plays a nurse named Myrna. Um, so we're we're getting Glenn Close at kind of three points in her early to mid-early career, um, 82, 87, 97. Um, in the Gloaming tells the story of a family whose um, son, Danny, um, has a terminal illness and comes home to spend his last few months of life um, with his parents and sister again. And his terminal illness is AIDS. And um, it was beautiful and very sad. Mm -hmm. And um, again, Glenn, Glenn Close's face is just a masterclass in subtlety, and heartbreak and unconventional handsome beauty and um how a good actor practices their art and craft mm -hmm. so that was on max um highly recommend you and i watched a while back it was four good days i believe that's on hulu uh yes Again, uh, also Glenn, Glenn Close, Close from 2020, 2021. Somewhere around in there. Yeah. And Mila Kunis. Uh, Mila Kunis is plays her, her drug-addicted daughter. Um, and it's not a great movie. I mean, it's good, but it's not devastating or anything. But um, she's so good in that movie. Yeah, I thought Mila Kunis was great in that movie, Mila, too. Mila Kunis was stunning in this film in large part because she was so... Um, not Mila Kunis. So <laughs> not beautiful yeah. and not sexy. She was a hag and ugly and um, gritty and 
horrible yeah in this film mm-hmm. um we you can tell by our viewing habits that we like glenn close a lot we do Oops. uh you have uh watched rewatched not that long ago all of damages yeah or most of damages um yes her tv show that got kicked around a lot it was on fx for its first several seasons and then got booted to a service that direct we didn't TV. have direct tv or something yeah um really good and mm-hmm. rose Byrne, um equally really good yes. um and rose Byrne can be funny oh yeah she she's she's as done, can glenn close well yes um uh, she she made a wonderful cruella uh in the live action dalmatians remakes mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the first thing you think of when you no. think of Glenn Close. No, but um, and um, I think last year we excuse, excuse me watched The Wife, yes. which was she was nominated for another Oscar, and didn't once again she either. didn't win that one either. Yeah. She lost out to Olivia Coleman. Yeah, um, which I I Olivia Coleman's great and yes. all that. Yes, um. So is Glenn Close. Yeah. Oh, well, look. A lot of it's the timing and who timing. you're up against in a given yes. movie year. And, and there's there's a whole thing about momentum when they're doing their voting. Uh, what film is, you know, especially how much push has been put behind yeah. uh, the campaign to get somebody nominated or uh, or 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 to win. Mm-hmm. And well, and it's when things come out. I mean, yeah. I know as a musician and a performer, you don't want to peak too soon. Well, yes, um, but also you don't want to peak too late. You also don't want to, and for movies anyway, at least Oscar bait. You also don't want to get buried in the end of the year avalanche the crunch. of Oscar bait. Yes. Um, because people can only go see so many movies. Yeah, in uh, that window of time. That, and, well, the voters can only see so many movies. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure they require everybody to have seen every performance that gets nominated for a Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor uh, award. Uh, they do require you to have gone to see screenings of the Best Picture, but... Um, yeah, Don't know. there's, there's, there's all kinds of politics and timing and momentum and all that stuff in regards to, to award season. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just feel certain that she's going to win it. You know, her Susan Lucci run will eventually end. I want her to win something and I want her to win it for like something truly worthy. Yes, that would be preferable. There also may come a time where people go, you know, she's been nominated all these times. Let's give it to her this time. And it may not be a big, the biggest, flashiest, best performance I of her career. I don't want it to be her Butterfield 8. Well. I want it to be her, you know, Philadelphia. I want her, I just want her to win. I don't care if it is the best performance of her career. I I just want her to be recognized for the fabulous actress that she is. Yeah. So, all right. 
the uh, second up to Glenn Close portion of the show is now over. Um, I watched the first episode of Marvel's Secret Invasion on Disney+. Plus. A lot of people are hating on this show, uh, in part because there are no superheroes in it. Uh, the Skrulls, and it, it, it comes from a, um, a comic book uh, series where the Skrulls were trying to take over Earth. Um, and uh, the Skrulls are an alien race that can mimic the appearance of any life form, pretty much. And um, there are a, fra- a faction of dissatisfied Skrulls who have been wanting a planet to call their own that um, apparently um, Nick Fury was supposed to help them find. Nick Fury played by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, But he has so far not found one. And there are a a group, there's a, a, a terrorist faction that is going to try to start a war on Earth between uh, various governments to make the planet unlivable for humans, but the Skrulls will be able to live here. Mm, okay. So that, and that's in the first, you, they pretty much establish all that in the first episode. Um, a lot of people are angry at this show for using uh, AI to uh, to mess with the images uh, of the opening um, series of uh, the opening artwork. It's all animated. looks like it's hand-drawn and it looks like it's it's morphing and changing. Yeah. Uh, and they used AI to mess with to, it. To push that along a little faster. And people are angry at them because everybody's in Hollywood anyway, or most people in Hollywood are angry at AI uh, for existing because they're afraid it's going to take their jobs. And it makes sense that they're afraid it's going to take jobs away from humans. Um, But uh, for something like this, I don't see what the big deal is. But anyway, a lot of people aren't in love with this show so far. Um, So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I like it. It's an espionage. It's a spy thriller type show because the scrolls can look like anybody, um, and they've already looked like people that you know characters we we know yeah. from the movies. Um, gotcha. And uh, you know it, it, they they could be anybody. So that's and it's only six episodes. For the whole thing. Okay. And they're dropping weekly. Okay. This is an hour. The hour-long stuff tends to be shorter number of episodes, fewer number of episodes. Um, Whereas the half-hour stuff tends to get eight or ten. Because it takes more to wrap the thing up. And, you know, these aren't cheap to make because there's a lot of special effects involved. Um, And the actors, you know, got other things to do. Um, So... Anyway, that's I, I watched. I enjoyed the first episode. Looking forward to the rest of them. So, uh, I like Secret Invasion. It is on Disney Plus. Now, we got some news today, late this afternoon. Uh, according to Deadline, 
Um, it's a in entertainment industry newspaper. Uh, Superman and Lois Lane have been cast for the new version of the uh, DC Universe or DCU uh, that is being overseen uh, in part by James Gunn. Uh, Superman has been cast as David Korenzwet. Didn't know that name. Had to look him up. But if you saw the movie Pearl, he plays the uh, projectionist at the movie theater Pearl goes to and who has a very unfortunate end. But, uh, but he has been cast as Superman. And Rachel Brosnahan from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime, she has been cast as Lois Lane. Um, you and I were talking earlier, mm -hmm. and I said that I... Well, I may not have actually said this, but I, I liked Henry Cavill as Superman. He looked like Superman. Yeah. Um, did not much care for Amy Adams as Lois Lane because those two did not have any chemistry on screen for me. Yeah. Um, and now we've got two new people as Superman and Lois Lane. And, of course, until we see them together we, on screen, we won't know if they're, you know... If they work together as a, as a, as a pair, as a possible romantic couple, because everything you know, all it all gets changed whenever they reboot and recast and all that stuff. Uh, will they be a, a couple by the end of the first movie, or will it take a second or third movie before they become involved? And will she ever know he's Superman, or will it just be Clark Kent? Um, that she knows him by uh, because Amy Adams knew Henry Cavill was Superman from the get-go. Um, so I hope that these two have some on-screen chemistry because the last Lois and Clark did not, and in my opinion. The last movie Lois and Clark because we had more Lois and Clark since then. Uh, yeah, elsewheres. Yeah. Um, I love Rachel Brosnahan. Oh, yeah, I do, too. I would love to see her play both Lois and Clark. She's <laughs> that fabtacular to me. Well. Um, I don't know who this Cornswoggle guy is, so I don't know anything And I'm not him. sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but it that's what it looks like. Uh, C-O-R-E-N-S-W-E-T. Cornswet or Cornswet. And he's an American. He's not British. I don't know. So, but anyway, but I, I just thought I'd pass along that information because, you know, I'm looking forward to James Gunn's interpretation of, of the, the DC Superman mythos. and the DC universe in general, uh, because we have sort of been floundering uh, on the DC side um, since forever. Um, and maybe he learned something from Marvel as how to build this universe. So, we can only hope so. But, I guess that's it for this time. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to Comedy Tragedy Marriage. We appreciate it. Please subscribe on all the podcast places. And if you would be so kind to share us with your friends on social media, we would greatly appreciate it. I am Stan the Movie Man. That is Maude the Movie Broad. Love you. Love you. And until next time. 
Later. Later.